I'm Peter Lamont, the production designer of The World Is Not Enough. My name is Vic Armstrong. I'm the action unit director of The World Is Not Enough. And I'm David Arnold, the composer of The World Is Not Enough. And that's Piers Brosnan. Originally, in uh, The World Is Not Enough script, um, we ended up in Bilbao uh, because the original concept was it was probably going to be Havana. And um, there are many problems. And uh, when we see this young lady here with the cigars, the cigar girl came from, uh, she was in the background of this rooftop set, rolling cigars on her thigh. But uh, as we ended up in Bilbao, um, it was done in a slightly different way. She was great, actually, wasn't she? She really came across. Yes, she did. So well. <clears throat> the set um, represents the exterior of the real building. Um, we had photographic cutouts outside the windows. And um, the whole set was then designed so that the action which we come up to next will all work for the picture. I must say, the action when it comes is very good. I remember Simon, I didn't actually work on the action on this particular part, this was the first unit, but uh, I know Simon was rehearsing this drop when he goes out of the window in a while, for, for quite a while beforehand. I'd say it's very effective being able to see the ground below him and everything. I think it was a big achievement that uh, it looked so good. I know when the first unit went over, they had all sorts of terrible problems with the weather and all sorts of things, didn't they? So I think they actually made a great job of it for what was available. Unfortunately, going for three days and it rained every day. And, of course, then they had crowds like you've never seen. Yeah, Pierce was mobbed, wasn't he, when he got there? Yes, he was. Yeah. I remember... They are on the phone to me saying, you know, it's absolutely incredible. And he had to turn and look at the crowds and they were screaming. It was like the Beatles in the, in the 60s. One. Two. All right, all right. But you'll have to protect me. I remember seeing news footage of this location shoot when Pierce and Robert were being mobbed by thousands of people. I just wondered how they felt going to see the film knowing that Bill Bauer was in it for about five minutes, you know, <laughs> and they were there for a week or so, yeah. and it's this enormous-looking sequence. <laughs> well, this was, this was kind of changed around quite a lot. In, in terms of the, the, the musical approach, I know there was, there was a point when we were waiting to save, like, the James Bond theme, because I always think that you should play it when he does something sort of typically James Bondish, mm. um, and, be, you know, hopefully be a bit more economical with it this time because I know in, in Tomorrow Never Dies it was all over the place um, but we kind of waited for him to do this amazing stunt where he's at, where he's out the window before we play it um, but originally I mean I, I don't think I would have put it there originally but for the fact that the first time we went through this uh, it's a great effect that isn't oh, it? it's seeing the ground beneath him and everything it's because it's real yeah we uh, 
asset decorator Simon uh, found this great desk because we wanted this uh, leg to pull away as you see now and uh, it really played the part because if we had something normal it wouldn't have worked mm. but uh, here we are on the ground and there's this big uh, dog full of pansies opposite in front of the Guggenheim <laughs> and in the cut we originally scored uh, we went from here to the to the opening title song uh, we actually we went to Renard in the hotel room which the sequence is now gone where he was uh, saying to the cigar girl that you know we're going to have to hope that this James Bond character gets the money back to MI6 in order to complete the job um, and we went originally to the song um, and then from the song to this part but when they had the test screening um, I know there was there's, there's, there's this whole feeling of the opening sequence has to be something yeah. so incredibly spectacular so they decided to wait till after the boat chase which I think retrospectively was probably the best idea. Yeah I went to that test screening and uh, you know the cards that came in everybody was adamant that uh, they had to have a bigger bigger mm. opening sequence. Yeah I remember they were saying that all he did was jump out of a building like but, <laughs> but in, you know in, in, in Sean Connery's movies I mean the stunts were certainly no bigger than that in the opening sequence. No it was you know, just it was just a one stunt but yeah. uh, I guess things have evolved over the years into... In some ways, the boat chase actually was shortened because it's such a long opening intro. You know, we'd obviously shot a lot more for the boat chase with depth charges and things, but it would have gone on far too long then mm. to, to, to wait before the titles. So, in I fact, think, it's shortened. I think the first, the first cut I got of the boat chase was something like... It itself was like 18 minutes long or something. It's it it unbelievable. We could have made a movie about the boat chase. I think someone has, haven't they? <laughs> the interior here of uh, MI6 is a bit of a figment of our imagination. Um, I have been inside, but uh, not into the end of the office, and I think I prefer to kind of uh, think it's how I see it rather than how it is. And as far as... Uh, the Q's workshop, which we'll shortly see, uh, this part where the boat is uh, ready for launching, that's all figment of our imagination, whether or not there's a, a workshop there, who knows, and also the secure room. They're very good though, aren't they, MI6, I must say. You know, when we were shooting, I shot the stuff with a piece of the building outside and all that sort of stuff. It didn't give us any hard time at all. I was, I was quite... Uh, I was expecting all sorts of security problems, but uh, they were great. Yeah, I was, I was very pleased. The, the whole uh, kind of essence of the set and how it worked was great. This was a, just a tiny little set shot right at the end of the schedule. Mm. It wasn't shot in continuity with this part. And also Chris made a great job of the explosion. And uh, here's Bond coming, tearing through and the money explodes. Then we cut to this great model that was built up on the back lot by John. Chris Corbold did a great job actually with all the effects oh, of yeah. this, I must Excellent. say. Yeah. Uh, they're all totally trustworthy. This was a piece which was built, a piece of the set that he had built for me, and I shot through it out on the actually on the River Thames to tie the whole two together. I must say it worked very well. Originally this sequence was a lot longer as well, the the amount of time that Pierce took to run to yeah, find right. King and then yeah. the point when he was looking for the cigar girl through the smoke. Yeah. And uh, this is the first time we get a sort of proper snap of the Bond theme just as he comes <clears throat> tearing out of the building. Yeah. 
I don't think there's anything else you can play at that point. And then we're off. Ten minutes of chaos. <laughs> the chase begins. Mm. This was great, great fun to shoot, I must say. When we first proposed the chase on the Thames, I must say my heart sank, because I thought, my God, the logistics of it all. But um, as usual, on all the bonds, you get a great crew. I've got Terry Madden, my AD, and Jonathan Taylor, my, my director of photography, and Kenny Atherfold, the grip, and Peter Field, the operators. Just such a good team that we, we really had fun shooting this. And I think the whole essence of this chase is we tried to get as many different... If you see this one, the camera actually flies under the bridge, which is pretty exceptional. We used a little mini remote-controlled helicopter with a camera in it for that, plus the big helicopters with the Westcam cameras. And here you see Pierce really getting hammered with water. <laughs> it's cold. This is in March. It's icy. But uh, he really excelled once we put him in this boat. He really got a kick out of it. And Maria there, bless her, she's... She, you know, you really believe she's in there driving the boat, which she did. We let her loose with it, but uh, my heart was in my mouth all the time because um, <clears throat> there's lots of obstructions in the Thames. But, uh, it's, this is the mini helicopter again because you could never get a helicopter down the narrow passageway like that. And then this is, a lot of this is the, how film actually changes geography because in reality, these waterways don't actually link up, but on film, obviously, they do. We use the, the docks as well as the river. This is a rather good stunt coming up. I think one an exceptional stunt. Yeah, this is amazing. This is shot for real, one time. Mind you, it was rehearsed about 20 times in a lake by Simon Crane and Gary Powell, who drove the boat. Really courageous job. He had to hit jets as he went up the ramp. He fired two jets, opposing jets, that just, once the car was at the boat, was airborne, he just fired these jets and it just pirouetted it. But um, timing had to be absolutely on. It was incredible. It's very much in the sort of Bond tradition as well, that stunt. You know, one thinks of the, the, the barrel roll in the car from Live and Let Die and, yeah. you know, to put it on water. And a lot of the stuff we do, we sort of play homage to, to, to uh, Bond's gone past, you know. I think mm. it's great fun to, to relive incidents and modernise them and what have you. And uh, I'm sure this will do wonders for the tourism trade in London. And again, it was one of the easiest cities I've ever worked in. I was amazed. They had so much cooperation. Again, it's, it's the power of Bond. This is a nice little moment coming up now. It's a, you know, you always have to intersperse your action with a little bit of humour. And that was Pierce's idea to straighten his tyres. He went under those. It's a cute gag. Um, these two stunt guys on this boat are really good. If you watch them, they're actually on the boat. As she goes through, they're still on it before it exploded. They really had to hold their nerve to stay there, I must say. They're great. Sometimes it's a bit intimidating when you're looking at an action sequence in a Bond movie, which is lengthy, especially when you know that there's going to be... You know, I mean, I think this, this is, what, eight or nine minutes now? The edited, the finished boat mm -hmm. chase is about eight or nine minutes, and... I knew that there was going to be another, you know, 50 minutes of action in the in the movie. And when when you're looking at scoring it, especially having done one where, where there was such a lot of action in Tomorrow Never Dies, and you think, well, I've done an hour of action music already. You know, how do you deal with another hour 
of James Bond action music when you're effectively dealing with the same character doing mm. similar things in similar situations with similar people. He's either chased or being chased or he's, you know, yeah. chasing someone else or something terrible is about to happen. So it's very similar things all the time, which is why I thought it'd be an idea just to bring the whole thing a little bit more contemporary and, uh, and, and use a lot of sort of electronic rhythms just to keep the thing jetting along. I mean, we had a had a, a lot of conversation with uh, Martin, the, the sound designer, about where the noise was going to be in this film. So we, you know, so I knew that it's, it's going to be pointless writing lots of tricky little bits and pieces if, if the world was going to be blowing up underneath it mm -hmm. or on top of it. But then you kind of leave the, you know, you leave again, you leave the Bond theme for for the for the the most effective moments, like when the boat shoots out yeah. and you see the dome for the first time. Yeah. And this again, I thought would be a nightmare to shoot. But again, they were they were very accommodating. I must say, we you know, film crews are really strange creatures to have on your property, and uh, they really put up with us very very well. And Maria, bless her, she was such a joy to work with. This girl, she was absolutely a treasure. Anything you want to do, she would do. She was always on time. She didn't care about the cold. Absolute wonderful girl. You keep a phone number, Vinich. <laughs> some great model yes, work yes. here. A absolutely excellent. Because obviously we couldn't really fly a hot air balloon over the dome and we had a half a balloon on a big crane. And this is the only part of the chase where we actually used opticals as well. So I was quite proud of that fact. That's an optical underneath him. He's hanging over a blue screen and we put the building under him. But the models are superb, aren't yes, they, Peter? absolutely. Just this explosion is great. Yeah. Yeah. This looks really violent. Yeah. I think as Mark Mottram was rolling down here, you see him hit this wire cable, you go, oh. This next one catches him. Oh, no, that bends him the wrong <laughs> way. <laughs> but uh, very effective. Excellent. Yeah, so that was our opening sequence. I must say, when we were conceiving it, it was terrifying. We started that in August. August, and we shot it in the mm -hmm. sort of March-April time. I was still finishing entrapment when we went up there and started uh, scouting with Barbara and Michael and Simon, just trying to get ideas and dream up places we could shoot. Now we get into the song. Again, it's like talking about the poison chalice. It's one of those things where people say it's either it's, it's too much like a James Bond song or it's not enough like a James Bond song. But um, I figured like this is the first time I got a chance to write the actual opening title song, although I did the closing title one on tour never dies um so i wanted a kind of classic sort of bond sound but i still wanted it to feel like it belonged to the rest of the film and the rest of the score and that's part of the reason why i thought garbage would be such a good idea because i think shirley manson is someone who could easily inhabit bond's world and i think the whole thing about the song is that it, it you know it needs to entice you it kind of beckons you in in some way you know, I always, I always said that that you know this 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 opening title song is is very much sort of from Electra's point of view, um, and it should be like a steel fist in a velvet glove. It's something which beckons you, and it's got this little crooked finger saying, "Come on, come on, come on, come on." And then when it gets you in there, it sort of strangles you or stabs you in the back. And uh, I think Shirley is is the only person I could think of in the world of 
like contemporary music who who is the musical equivalent I guess of Electra so it's kind of as important as casting the characters I think getting the right voice and getting the right attitude for the song the writing of it was it was peculiar I did it with Don, Don Black um, did the lyrics who has done he's done four Bond movies he did Diamonds Are Forever and The Man With The Golden Gun and Thunderball and the lyrics on um, Surrender From Tomorrow Never Dies and he has a way with a phrase which kind of does exactly the same thing as the music should do it, it kind of it kind of teases you into a in, in, into what the film is about and he's he also has a way with a word whereby the way when you sing it it kind of falls out your mouth in a very comfortable way and i think for singers it's very important to have lyrics which are comfortable to to perform with and and so i think we had a combination of uh, a strong musical thematic material i think we had strong lyrics and uh, and i think we had the perfect band for it for this movie um and uh you know the recording process was really quite easy because everyone was on the same page um so we got it finished pretty quickly and then danny Kleiman did those fantastic titles for them the funeral sequence here was shot at stowe school um, one of the problems we had dame judy at that time was uh, acting in a play at in london and uh, her schedules wouldn't permit her going anywhere in Scotland but we're assumedly in Scotland as uh, Robert King was Scottish and uh, after this sequence we go to MI6 um, their evacuated headquarters um, this is Eileen Donner but shot from a different angle from what you normally see and then we made the the sets in Pinewood this didn't represent the real interior because the real interior is somewhat small and uh, would be impossible to shoot. So this was built on stage D at Pinewood and uh, we thought it came off rather well. Adrian did a great job of the lighting and uh, it was a well acted scene. So it was rich texture of a Scottish castle, let's say. Yeah, I was pretty pleased with it, you know, it was dressed nicely and uh, there were one or two other things we were going to have, like a big uh, lit floor where the carpet came back, but uh, this was uh, taking a bit of time. But we oh, do see the floor. Those discussions, yeah. 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 Tartan carpet, of course. Yeah, <laughs> black watch, <laughs> not lament. <laughs> black watch with a magnet inside it. <laughs> I was amazed at the the, the stonework. I mean, I, I saw the rushes for this before I came out to Pinewood and. There is just no way that you would believe that that was a set. And then when I went up there, you know, it's so peculiar when you go behind these things and you see chicken wire yeah. and wood and plaster. And it's just the, sto the stone was so incredible. Well, our master plaster of Dave, he laid down a, a, a model for us and uh, then made a cast, uh, a mould from it, and then cast it. And uh, we had it beautifully painted by... Dave, a master uh, painter, and uh, it was, uh, you know, a handsome-looking set. I'm always amazed. Over the years I've been in the game, I still, I'm still just amazed when I go and see sets. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal the achievements. Yeah. Especially when you go outside the environs of the set, and you sort see what's behind. Mm. This is a great Bond moment, I must say. This is a classic from me. 
from the old days. It's wonderful. Some great dialogue. Some lovely repartee later on with oh, this yeah. money penny as well. With the, that same girl. And again, Q's workshop was set again shot right at the end of the schedule, uh, which was fortuitous for me, for me because I managed to use a lot of the the old set and rehashed it into this uh, workshop, which in effect was the old castle um, billiard room. I often wondered what on earth Q would be doing with a boat like that for fishing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I must admit, I did think that. A pretty violent little fishing boat. I think he's a drug smuggler in his <laughs> spare time, probably. All the previews I saw, old John Cleese got a great reaction from the crowd. He's such a world-renowned oh, yeah. figure. And you might be... This is 007. If you're Q, does that make him R? Ah, yes, the legendary 007. <laughs> Great line. You don't really have many world-famous British eccentrics anymore. No. Who can act and who are funny. Improved specs. I thought you were on the inactive roster, some kind of injury. Yes, well, we'll see about that. So... As I was saying, the very latest in intercepts and countermeasures... This car's a beautiful car, I must say. That's my next toy that I want to get. It's, uh, it's so retro, and yet, technically, it's absolutely superb, engineering-wise. How many people do you think asked for one? <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. yeah I did. Did you? <laughs> uh, they told me, is there any chance of getting one of those? Well, I believe they're only building 5,000 of them. Yeah, really? it's very limited edition. Well, I know there's there only two in the world at this point. <laughs> But they've given one of them. They've given. They've given two. I think they've given two away. Like yeah. MTV bought two of them for a giveaway. Yeah. For a bond competition, it's just extraordinary. No, it's a superb car. I think it's one to to keep. I must say. Now I want to know how you did this with the jacket. <coughs> <laughs> it's quite cute, isn't it? That was Chris Corbold and uh, a lot of his techno oh, wizards. Yeah. They did a great job on this. It's incredibly poignant this moment. I remember, Just I, I, say, I, I, yeah. rem I remember looking at it and thinking, should we, should we score this? Mm. And we thought, do you know what? I don't think you can because in some way you'd have to sum up the entire relationship in five seconds of music, and you just couldn't do it justice. So mm. I think it's lovely just watching him yeah. go away like that. I must say, Sophie was, I think, breathtaking in it. She's absolutely, you know, in a personal personality as well. She's just a gorgeous girl. Great part for her. This is quite tricky for music. I mean, what I liked about it was that Bond is actually having to do some spying. And mm -hmm. you haven't seen an awful lot of him having to do his job recently. You know, it's like he seems to sort of stumble across things quite fortuitously. But in this one, he's having that's to make the effort and put things together. That's a good point, yeah. And um, I, I had the idea for this, you know, there was this whole kind of feel which we get back to when he's uh, breaking into the office in Baku as well, later in the movie, when um, he has this kind of spy feel music. But also there's this 
there's, there's a moment with, uh, with with Sophie where you know where he touched the screen where you feel like there is some kind of contact made with her emotionally, mm -hmm. which is going to propel us forward later in the story. Um, and this whole thing had to be sort of very kind of tense and gentle and emotional and spying and dangerous at the same time. It's a it's a peculiar brief. Mm. Nice big feel to it, that set, Peter. Yes, it, it, it felt right. Baronial. One thing I noticed about watching this whole film, especially just looking at the, the, the boat chase initially and the ski sequence, was that it, it really had a, a feel of the sort of classic sort of Bond 60s things. Was that something that both you had considered while you were doing it? Because it definitely had a sort of... It was unlike any of the, any of Pierce's other, other mm. movies in terms of I how it looked and how it felt. There was an underlying feel in it that we wanted to get and pay homage to a lot of the earlier movies, you know, and the ski sequence was a sort of... was almost a compulsory in the old days and, and the chase sequence was, was, was homage to the, to the other ones. And I certainly felt that when I was shooting it, just try and take an old theme mm. and, and, and revamp it in the way we shot it and uh, we approached it. And I think it came off in that respect, actually. And if you notice, um, here, we've got uh, Bernard Lee up there as the old M. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it'd be a nice little touch, you know, that it wasn't just... Uh, it, this is their hideaway in Scotland. If, uh, right. And... Not to pay the ransom. I thought we had time on our side. You used the girl as bait. I must say, it's an intriguing story. It's got... Uh, yeah. You have to think a little bit and... Uh, yeah, plus the fact that um, they've just signed their uh, um, declaration to build the pipeline um, that we've been... Busy that we're blowing ...depicting up. in the film. <laughs> really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Just been signed <laughs> between Azerbaijan, I think, uh, Georgians and the, uh, the Turks. Good Lord. This is our lit floor, and uh, this is... Uh, a hologram. I think in retrospect it's a good idea to leave... I mean, this is basically your villain's entrance. Mm. And to have it be so enormous and overwhelming for everyone, mm. rather than him appearing in a small hotel room in Bilbao. Yeah, good point, yeah. Was there anything on the set with this hologram? Or did you do a hologram no, for no, real? Um, it's all optical. No, artwork. Myra just had some... Uh, uh, markers mm. where uh, it would be and mm. uh, it was done then after that. I think Mara did some wonderful yeah. work with her opticals on this. Yeah. They, uh, They're kind of seamless, aren't they? I mean, I like you really, absolutely seamless. You can't really tell good. where things uh, start and stop, which is probably the greatest compliment. Yeah, I was especially pleased with the ones we did uh, eventually in Turkey, mm. um, you know, on the back lot. Mm. Yeah. You see so much nowadays with with opticals, you know. Oh, yeah. They're just, I'm starting to get a bit allergic to them, but, you know, when they're done correctly, it's a superb enhancement for a movie. Not quite. Renard had three enemies in that kidnapping, and there's still one he hasn't touched. Electra. I love Miss Manifelli. Yeah. She's wonderfully bitingly sarcastic. Yeah. yeah. Especially with this particular scene. Yeah. 
exceptional stamina. I'm sure she was touched by his dedication. To the job in hand. 007, I want you to go to Electra. She's taken over the construction. <laughs> this is a rather nice line of hers about following somebody. <laughs> This scene coming up was quite interesting because the first part was shot in Azerbaijan and then we dissolve into a model and then actual again, model and uh, then we pick it up in Cuenca in Spain where the pipeline is. Mm. Um, here we are in the, the real place Azerbaijan. The car was taken out there and uh, which Pierce drove and uh, here we are uh, looking down. Here's, this is uh, really driving along. There were other sequences here, but they were cut. This is the real oil field. And as we come along, we're just coming up to it now. This part here is model, dissolving into the kind is of the forestry. Model? Yeah, that's model. Now we come into Black Park. Yeah, it's got to shot the next little bit in uh, Hinkley Common, I think. That's right. It? Yeah, this bit. Well, here we have the uh, helicopter with the with the blades. Part, yeah. yeah. And are they real helicopters? <laughs> from here we go into model. And here we are in Cuenca, the pipeline and uh, the pipeline under construction. This is a combination of two sets that were brought into one kind of intercept, as Michael would say, to shave boot leather. And I think it worked out very well. I sort of took this opportunity to change the colour of the music. I mean, we get to a new location and introduce the whole load of Azerbaijan influences in it, just so you get the feeling and the colour that you're in another, you know, even though it's quite a grotty, it's still sort of exotic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the premise of this scene was that the pipeline was going right through um, these Azerbaijanis little chapel. Um, originally, we were going to shoot it in Cappadocia, but uh, conditions wouldn't allow us to do it there. And uh, we came to this spot in Cappadocia, in um, Cuenca, and uh, we built the little exterior of the chapel in amongst the rocks. This is the the entrance to the chapel. The chapel was built in the studios. That's back at Pinewood, isn't it? Yeah. This is Pierce coming, just a little interior, exterior, looking through, then his eyeline of uh, them talking. This is back on the location. Send the pipe around. It's going to take weeks and cost millions. Your father approved this route. Then my father was wrong. Do it. I'll talk to you. Yeah, great part for a woman, I must say, Electra. She handled it perfectly. Oh, she did. I'm sorry. Em told me she was sending someone. Mister? Bond. James Bond. It's very fit and well, doesn't he, Pierce, I must say. He's uh, very lean for this. Oh, yeah. This Bond. You seem to have inherited his touch for diplomacy. Saving the church. And avoiding the bloodshed. A hundred years ago, my mother's family discovered the oil here. When the Soviet Union was formed, 
The communists spent the next seven... There was going to be another little sequence in here that uh, eventually was cut of uh, her office coming in by air. I remember that, yeah. But, um, expanding mm -hmm. office, wasn't it? Yeah, but again, it uh, again is a certain amount of uh, time taken up just showing this. And uh, so instead of um, the office being uh, landed and expanding, we just see them walk straight into the office. This is all done in uh, Cuenca. All the, all the pipes actually are cardboard. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the ones in the, of the actual pipeline in the background are uh, inflatable. And uh, this is the office that uh, was going to be uh, the expanded. This it? is the interior on Pywood mm -hmm. on the back lot. Mm -hmm. And this is where the real pipeline is going to run. Mm. That's the green one. My father was murdered. The villagers are rioting. And you, Mr. Vaughan, have come all this way to tell me that I might be in danger? We suspect there might be an insider. My father's pen? No, a duplicate. With a transmitter inside that set off the bomb. My family has relied on MI6 twice, Mr. Bond. I won't make that mistake a third time. That was a full-size set, was it, or did you oversize it? No, we made it uh, practically the right, the correct size. Mm -hmm. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to check the survey lines. I've always wanted to check the survey lines. This next sequence was coming up. We had great discussions whether we should do snowboarding or whether we should do skis, and uh, eventually we settled for the skis, which realistically would have been the right thing. Whether it would have modernised it more to go on with snowboards, we still, we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> This ski sequence we shot in Chamonix, all around Mont Blanc. This particular moment we see now is, is at about 12,000 feet, so we had to, all sorts of problems getting equipment in. We had to use Llama helicopters that can handle the altitude and various things like that. But this is quite close to my heart because I actually worked on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service on a ski sequence, which uh, I still think in, you know, and was, was a classic that. So we had, you know, a lot to live up to with this one. And there's two parts to this sequence where the first, it's sort of melodic, they're out having fun, and then it's the baddies arrive in their parahawks, and uh, the action starts. But uh, we had some wonderful times out here finding these locations, and this particular place is, is right up on the top of, of Mont Blanc, basically, on the Italian-French Alps borders. And um, it was just incredible getting in there. And the blue ice they ski through is just millions of years old and crevasses, this one here. I just flew around and spotted it, and then we put uh, skiers out, and they checked the crevasse depths and strengths and everything else, and we all roped ourselves off and hung on the cliffside and filmed it. And uh, It was a wonderful experience filming it. Unfortunately, while we were there, we had some terrible season of avalanches because we had a tremendous snowfall this summer, and... Uh, it was, it was horrendous, but um, you overcome all these things, of course. It's funny that the Honor Majesty's reference, because it, what struck me was how much like Diana Riggs' snowsuit this was. Yes. And, uh, you know, Bond's last true great real romance was with her. Right. Um, and so much of that skiing sequence, the initial part of it, is trying to sell the fact that 
they actually are getting together. Yeah. You know, because I think you have to believe that their relationship is working in order to buy the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then, of course, it gets ruined. These machines are Parahawks. Simon Crane and myself went up to... We went to Quebec and then down to Orlando and into Miami, just searching for ideas and, and things to come up with. We needed sort of machines that could uh, could fly and fight. So these aren't your regular sort of um, uh, microlites or anything like that, because they uh, Simon got some parachutists in and they actually designed wings that really fly. You can actually you know ascend as well as descend with them, and. Um, a whole brief when we were doing this was just to keep things varied and uh, you know when you feel you've seen enough of these machines flying then they go and land and turn into snowmobiles and so on and so forth and I think it's 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 a fun sequence again that sequence here I use that mini helicopter that I used on the Thames with a camera in it um, but I had a wonderful time shooting this whole sequence Chamonix is actually a glorious place to work and uh, Chris Corbold did a wonderful job putting the snowmobiles underneath these flying machines because he couldn't physically fly with the weight with a with a real um, snowmobile. So they actually designed these, and Peter, had your guys, concept artist, designed the, the shell yeah, of them and everything. Shell, and again, was sculpted and uh, moulded and then cast, and uh, we did all the paint work. They came off very well, I think. Yeah. We had some wonderful ski doubles there as well that, that knew the area, knew where all the crevasses were and could keep us in uh, safe positions. But just getting into these positions was we had six-wheeled trucks that would crawl up the mountains at three or four miles an hour and take you know, well over an hour to get the crew up onto the set by daylight. And we actually shot continuous working days as we did on the river. We just started at 7.30 and finished at 4.15 and non-stop and had food and everything just brought to us. So you just didn't stop working. This next little sequence I love. It's uh, another Bond moment, I think. I, um, we were very fortuitous in finding this cliff, and uh, I think it's like all great chases, you just need that moment of, and with music, David, you know, you just need that moment to relax and take a beat mm. and a breath, and then upwards and onwards again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun moment, I think. Yeah. Very Bondian. You do set yourself a bit of a task, don't you? When you have, you know, you're having to compete with, you know, something like on Her Majesty's the ski sequences. Yeah. Everyone holds it up and saying, "Well, how does it compare to that?" Yeah, exactly. And you're not even being compared, so it's pretty scary, really. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can't even be thinking about that. You just have to kind of do what's in front of you. Yeah. That's, that's you know the thing with the music. I know they're having a lot of trouble trying to find music that worked with this whole sequence which was telling the story because there still is a story to be told in amongst the mm -hmm. the chaos and the you know the carnage and the explosions there's the, you know the drama is still happening for us so yeah you know, that, I mean, that jump there was wonderful uh, again that the stunt guys had rigged and some optical work of a crane being taken out on the on the film but a great jump you know and it's totally 100 percent believable I, I love it Mark Southworth did the jump, and I must say, when you saw him do it for real, it was that's quite a great shot as well. Stopping. This is back on the stage now, and the payoff with Q's coat. <laughs> there are all sorts of sort of secondary and tertiary themes that were coming in musically during that ski sequence, which hopefully are subliminally linking everything to everything else. It links kind of Bond to Electra, but also there are elements of Renard's presence whenever. 
whenever bad things are happening and we're not sure where they're coming from, there's always an element of uh, Renard's music in there, and it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's very subtle, but hopefully, you know, you're kind of tying all the things together as you go through. It's yeah. great. I think you held up very well the ski chase. I'm I'm very happy with it. It's long enough to keep you interested and varied enough, and uh, it's another good um, sign of uh, optical work, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, excellent. They're actually crawling out of a, a little <laughs> area in Pinewood Studios and that has been plonked into the plate that we shot out in uh, Chamonix. Very clever. <laughs> this was a location in Istanbul. It's one of the palaces on uh, the Bosphorus and uh, the staircase here is at Luton Hoo. The interior set, which kind of uh, connects with the real exterior we built in the studio. It was built uh, in a similar style, not on the same scale as the, the real um, palace, because the rooms there were about 20 feet high and the doors actually were 11 feet high, and in our proportion it would make it rather strange to uh, have most of the decoration up and out of picture. But our painters did a great, great job on all this gilding. Uh, the whole palace was uh, gilt in this way, and originally we were going to shoot in the original uh, hallway, which uh, picked up all this decoration. A bit fussy about you working in there, weren't they, about the crew going Well, they there. were, but uh, then, of course, uh, when Michael and uh, went out with a tiny crew without the actors, we just shot an exterior and picked everything else up in England. Right. Please. Everybody's in the audience saying, stay, stay. <laughs> yeah, it's another moment in, with music where hopefully you kind of... It's like we have this little drawstring around the two of them and you just have mm. to keep pulling and pulling and pulling and making it less easy for him to say no to the things that she wants him to say yes to. Because you don't ever want him to stop being Bond, that's the thing, you know, and I think what's difficult about him getting truly and honestly involved with someone is that the essence of Bond's character is one of non-involvement, so mm. actually selling the relationship is kind of crucial. And the only one he really got involved with, as you said earlier, was Diana Rigg, and yeah. she got killed, so yeah. sort of all that sort of backstory as well, I suppose, really. Our casino was shot at uh, Royal Air Force um, Officers Mess at Horton, Buckinghamshire. It was built by the Rothschilds uh, many, many years ago. That's the officer's mess. I'm joining the army. (laughs) (laughs) And it gave us quite a good uh, interior. This was kind of fun bits. Did you get to keep keep any glasses, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) Can I borrow them for Christmas? It's a funny little gag, isn't it? It's cute. It's great the way he plays it as well. Mm. And this is quite a nice little stunt that uh, we're coming up to now where Bond goes to the bar. Yeah, it's very, very slick, isn't Very it? simple and slick, yeah. Mm. No kind of fisticuffs, just kind of expertise. Mm. Well, I love the way that they did this see-through thing, was that they shot, didn't they shot, they shot the whole thing twice, once with clothes and once with... Everyone actually was wearing transparent clothes and they, and, yeah. and they put the glow on afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I never get to shoot all these good bits. It's like the titles. I want them to let me shoot the titles. They keep sending me out to chase things <laughs> and blow things up. <laughs> Thank you. 
don't think you heard me. Interesting point of continuity. There is, there is still a gun left in that guy's jacket. <laughs> if you go back and have a look at the X-ray, he's got a machine gun on on his. Yeah, big Uzi hanging there. Yeah, yeah which, which he doesn't retrieve. After you? No. After you. I insist. And again with Zukowski's office, this was again shot at Luton Hoo because just shooting the staircase there wouldn't have made a day's work. And uh, so we shot this at Luton Hoo in uh, one of the side rooms. I was born in Luton. Were you? Yeah, I've never been to Luton Hoo. <laughs> <laughs> It's like every week in the local paper, it's like they're shooting James Bond at Luton Hoo or they're shooting Batman at Luton Hoo. They've shot so many yeah, things I've shot at that two movies there, actually. Wouldn't let people like me in. <laughs> I must say, in all the previews, old uh, Robbie got a great. Uh, Round of applause when he appeared. Yeah. Oh yes, very very popular character, isn't it? It's a terrific, it's a terrific reveal of him as well. But you know, mm. also the first thing he says, Bond, James Bond, like that's his name. Yeah, he plays it so well. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. I've known him for twenty odd years. He's a great character. Yeah, this is a nice little way for me to get back to some of the John Barry stuff that they used to do in the casino. Was it? You know, mm. I figured that we're supposed to be in Valentin Zukovsky's version of what a Monte Carlo casino would be if it was in Baku, you know, full of gangsters and Russian mafia. Mm -hmm. uh, and I imagined that he would probably think that kind of lounge jazz would be the thing that you'd want to hear. <laughs> he portrays seediness so well, old Robbie, you know, with, <laughs> does. with wealth, it's wonderful. And then after Afghanistan, the KGB decided Renard was a liability and just cut him loose. Now he works freelance. But for who? Mm. There are four competing pipelines. I'm willing to bet half the customers of this casino would be very happy to see the King Pipeline disappear. Ha! That's funny. Oh, nothing. It just appears Miss King does not share your concern. This is still Luton here, yeah? Yeah. What are you doing here? The same thing you are, looking for the people who tried to kill me. Let me take you home now. No. A little moment coming up. It's amazing how cards are intriguing on film, isn't it? Get back to the sting and everything. Oh, yeah. It was riveting. I guess it's the element of chance. And we're still unaware that this is all conspiracy. Mm hmm. Mr. Wilson. But it's also the sort of the grandness of Bond, the, the, you know, the just the, the fantastic amount of money they deal with that I think everybody sort of mm. looks and wishes and dreams of. It's. You, I think it's ooh. quite intriguing that you've got a, now you've got a game of cards for a million that Bond's not playing. You know, it's the, the frustration of him yeah. seeing someone else doing something that he thinks you know making the wrong calls. Yeah. When you knew if it was him, he'd be walking away with two. Yeah. And he actually says that in his mm. mannerisms and everything. There's also the you know the emotional question in this is when you know when she loses is uh, Bond's disappointment 
again with the music we kind of waited for her to walk away from the table so we have a point of tension where you're really left to decide for yourself Bond's reaction to her losing whether or not it's a kind of professional or a personal response that he's having and I think we have to believe that it's personal mm. um, and you just kind of let the performance do it for you you know otherwise you're you're constantly telling people what he should be thinking and what he should be doing. Mm -hmm. Shall we? Oh, I must admit, I'm not really sure what he means when he says this is a game I can't afford to play. Mm -hmm. I know. What happened to Davidoff? I gave him the night off. This is the angel's breath. Uh, there is a place in uh, Azerbaijan where um, you do have these flames, but uh, the real place is somewhat not quite like this. And uh, it was decided that we would do it in the studios. And it's down in Pinewood Gardens near the grotto. Uh, the devil's breath was supplied by Chris Cobbold and his crew. And uh, our first view of uh, Robbie to witness the wonder of the miracle of the natural flames that never die. And to test their devotion to God by holding the scalding rocks in their hands. Perfect. As they said their daily prayers. Tell me, Davidov, what happened this afternoon? You promised me your best man. Mr. Arkov supplied the latest weapons. Yes, uh, but Bond... Bond was unarmed. And you, Arkov, is everything ready for tomorrow? I have the authorization and the passes in the car. And I have arranged for a plane tonight, but... How did you like Robbie as, as a baddie? Well, well, initially, I was... You know, when they said they were casting him, I was, I was a little unsure just because, obviously, Pierce is a very big, tall guy, and, and Robbie isn't a big, tall, physical guy. But one, the, the sort of revelation about him was that he plays it so dark and so straight. You know, it's like we haven't got a James Bond cartoon villain. You know, he's not, he hasn't got a maniacal cackle and he's not rubbing his hands and he hasn't got a, you know, his device, I guess, is, is you know, the, 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 the physicalness of what's happened to him, that he's been shot in the head and, and is going to die anyway. And to take that to its conclusion is that he's someone with really no no soul at all and these black eyes and quite a sensuous scene I know they had a few problems with the sensors over this uh, type of thing I think first time we're able to play sort of Electra's theme Mm -hmm. in its totality. I was actually in Chamonix shooting the ski sequence while Michael Apted was, was filming this particular sequence and uh, we always talk every day to keep up to date of what's going on and everything else and I used to be talking to him and he said, oh Vic, I've had such a tough day, I've had Sophie Marceau naked on the bed and this, that, and the other. And I'd been out all day in long johns and boots and freezing cold and blizzards and I kept offering to change change locations with him, but he wouldn't have any of it.
How did you survive? I seduced the gods, used my body, gave me control. And the rest, I got a gun and started shooting. And what about you? What do you do to survive? I take pleasure in great beauty. This scene here, we shot in Pinewood Studios. And we didn't take the unit out to Turkey, where this shot would have been done. Our scenic artist, uh, Steve Sallybanks, produced this three-dimensional cutout of Electra's Palace, just to kind of show that where we still were. This is one of the uh, gizmos that uh, the boys up in the prop workshop came up with uh, for opening um, I love it, Davidoff's actually. office. I think it's great. I love gizmos, you know. You can never have too many of them. It's another good moment for Bond to actually be doing his job again, you know, it's like he's actually doing a bit of spying, he's having to find things out, it's not, it's not all landing in his lap. I mean, I, I, I like the fact that you actually get to have to see him doing something to get any of this information. Yeah, yeah, it's too much circumstantial otherwise. And it's, it's a whole storytelling, you know, and it all, I love gags that pay off later, you know, you, you see this guy taking his own photograph through the window and Bond has to do it later. It's, it's a great little payoff. It's, uh, it's well thought out and set up. And they're revealed and we sort of step the music up a little bit there. We start introducing some more Turkish style instrumentation and still keep the contemporary feel going all the way through this. So that shot there was a three dimensional. Yeah, was cut it out. really? Yeah, That's it was brilliant. good. And this, the next shot, uh, where we arrive at uh, uh, the aerodrome, uh, we did at North Holt, and uh, we had to bring in the, the CASA from Spain, which we'd shot on previously. Uh, this helped, because when we were originally going to do it, we were going to do it within um, Black Park, and of course we wouldn't have had the plane there. And this always helps, I think, uh, to kind of uh, set the scene that we have the aeroplane there, and it's, it's, we're not trying to uh, cheat in any way. And this is quite a slick sequence, you know. Fortunately, these were all on the aerodrome, these dogs. They all belong to the uh, Royal Air Force uh, um, really? police. Yeah, so we we just brought them over in cages. These trees, did you plant these? Yeah, we planted all the trees. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is a nice moment when they hands on the tennis shoes. <laughs> what happened to Davidoff? I was told to expect him. Obviously, to qualify for being in Renard's gang, you actually have to look like him. You have to have your head shaved. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's quite funny in the plane, isn't it? Everybody's got their head shaved. I was feeling a bit like a hippie when, when I was watching this. Not it's conspicuous long... at all, then. <laughs> OK, come on. Let's get out of here. You're late. Did you bring it? The grease. 
wonderful Bondian moment when he just happens to have taken the right thing and knows what he's talking about, but you believe it. <laughs> it's a great touch. <laughs> he plays it so well, Beard. <laughs> if you want to get ahead, get it shaved. Get ready. We're ten minutes out. But make sure you wear the ID. This was in um, uh, a place called, uh, yes, just above a place called Bandiros Los Reales, mm. and it was a wonderful sight, and uh, it happened to be better than the one we would have had in Turkey, um, because we could view everything from all around, and uh, as the scene progresses, um, I'll describe what goes on. Uh, this was done in the studio, that the interior, then we set all this up in... Uh, Bandiros, and uh, we built the entrance to the, the nuclear test centre uh, into the into the rocks, and then we have the scene where uh, Bond meets Christmas. Took advantage of the fact that we actually see the uh, the the nuclear material to play a bit more of Renard's music and uh, we also come back to that quite a lot later in the submarine and whenever Renard is present and nuclear materials are present try and tie it all try and tie it all in look our IDA physicist don't bother not interested in man take my word for it this year we decommissioned four test sites not even a glimmer <laughs> Are you here for a reason, or are you just hoping for a glimmer? She was a great girl, actually. I'd, I'd just done Starship Troopers with her as well a year ago, and uh, she was she really worked hard on this. I did a, a lot of shooting with her in the nuclear facility, which is coming up now with fire and flame and climbing around, and then also at the end in the submarine. I must say, she. And I remember coming over when you were shooting that submarine stuff and she was absolutely wrecked yeah. thrown around all over the place and soaked and freezing. Freezing cold and tired and she never complained for one second, you know, your eyes you go blind with the chlorine and she was an absolute trooper, I couldn't speak more highly of her, she's a wonderful girl It's from me Your friends are waiting for you A lot of very difficult dialogue for her to contend with as well. She unfortunately gets landed with all the explanations about what bombs do and, and how this material works with that material. And there's a lot of expositional sort of dialogue, which is can't be can't be easy. No, absolutely, it's it's very tough, and unfortunately, it all has to be there and be done correctly. Mm. There's one of the best one-liners in the movie, I think, coming up. But we'll get to that at the end of the pipeline. I loved it, <laughs> but. Uh... It's another nice model, isn't yeah, it, uh, yeah, Peter? Yeah. And then we dissolve into our set on the O7 stage, which was this underground nuclear test centre. Yeah, we had uh, some discussions, remember, oh, sitting there yeah, working yeah. about what 
what this is yeah. format this is going to take and this is all full size looking here but when he looks there that's a little false perspective just to give it um, some depth that uh, we're in this huge facility this was modeled slightly after the uh, uh, Euro tunnel but with a lot of degradation by our uh, great plasters again great prop work painters and then we come into the actual set with the uh, the bomb being got ready for dismantling. And as you say, the aging down was actually superb. Yeah, These was, tiles yeah. and the paint job on the tiles. I did some pickup shots in here for the fight, and uh, I must say, I was absolutely amazed. I think dramatically, this this whole sequence with Bond and Renard is is terrific because. Because yeah. cause, cause Robbie just plays it so straight and so dark and so, you know, yeah, he's just so dangerous because he doesn't care. Yeah, he's know, fearless, he just, isn't he? Absolutely. And uh, absolutely nothing left to lose. So all the things that Bond can traditionally rely on, you know, like the threats, and just are useless. And he's he's left with with nothing. And I think you can see it in in Pierce's face. You know, the the struggle to find. You know, competing with that kind of performance, where you you know it's almost like Robbie Carlyle is daring you to find something new in Bond. You know, because there's this he's given him something completely new to work with. Mm -hmm. It's an enemy that doesn't care if he kills him or not. My men will hear the shot and kill you, and the firefight will bring down half the army from above. But when a certain phone call isn't made in 20 minutes, Electra dies. <laughs> Quite a tricky part of the storytelling here, because uh, a lot of it hinges on this at the moment. Mm. You should have had her before, when she was innocent. How does it feel to know I broke her in for you? I usually hate killing an unarmed man. Cold-blooded murder is a filthy business. Some quite um, technical problems with this set, weren't there, Peter? You know, the, the doors, all those oh, hydraulic yeah. doors and everything. Especially the doors for Chris, you know, our designer of the doors, he made them work. Yeah. And uh, a lot of manufacturers also give us uh, a lot of help, like the robotic arm there. Uh, they all worked real for real. Mm. It was all programmed. 63 years old. This is your imposter, along with the man outside on the plane. They're stealing the bomb. I said drop it! This whole sequence, mu musically, I think we started it at the descent into the facility, and we don't finish it until the end of the chase. And I think, again, this was a, I think it was uh, another sort of nine, ten minutes, I think, eleven minutes sequence where it's so, you know it's solid music and trying to, again, you know, finding the things to say when there's that amount. But I think when you've got great performances, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, I think everything just automatically flows along. Some wonderful story points here as well. It's great. It's very subtly done. Now, without any further interruptions, let's proceed. Yet, there are too many new faces around here, including yours. The bomb doesn't move. We're just about to kick into it. 
another set piece action-wise. So I figured the infamous that nuclear facility, Peter. <laughs> musically, I decided that you know whenever there is a confrontation with Bond and and Renard directly, that uh, we would have it in a completely sort of different time structure, and it's, it's actually in waltz time for no particular reason, but for the uh, the boring aspect of it is it's threes against twos, which gives you an incredible sort of tension. There's a huge amount of tension inherent in the rhythms, and I felt like it was the, the really what was happening between the two of them. And uh, all the chase sequences are in kind of four, and sort of quite groovy. And all the uh, the fights between Bernard and Renard and Bond are, are in three. <laughs> One of the great Gibbs again. Yeah, we're doing the. Instead of it sticking in and out, it's great though. It's it's fun, you know. It's uh, this is some great moments in this. There's a nice yeah. explosion coming up. I talk about in a while, but uh, some some good storytelling in the context of action. We decided pretty early on that this whole sequence was going to be a sound designer sequence. I think we thought that the ski chase and the boat chase were going to be more music driven, but this one, even though it needs music to kind of keep you moving on and to add things emotionally and sort of energy wise, then we, we sort of made the decision fairly on that, fairly early on, that this was going to be a sound effects job. Mm. Yes, whenever you have that amount of machine gun fire and sparking wires and, you know, 10 ton doors closing and explosions, there's not an awful lot else you're going to hear. <laughs> nice piece of engineering yeah. coming up now, isn't it? I love the way that all the electrical gear in this looks like it was from the 70s. Yeah. You know, it just looks so old and... Yes, it's certainly authentic looking. This was quite a nice moment too. Slowest bullet in the world. Yeah, yeah. it's great, isn't it? <laughs> and especially as it goes up. Uh, with a finger, it's terrific. Mm. And he points down. <laughs> and the bomb is activated by a little cable. Yeah, I remember shooting that. We, we did this just as we got back from Chamonix. <laughs> yeah, came in right. and this up. But we did this explosion with Pierce. They'd done it once with, uh, with the stunt double and wanted a close-up of Pierce, and we basically recreated the whole thing. Chris Corbell, this is actually Pierce in front of a full-blown explosion coming all the way through. That's all going off behind him. I had three cameras on long lenses, so I just wanted to do it the once. And, uh, it's great. And then this moment, the actual guy catches fire as he came out, so they actually put Pierce on fire for this moment to, to overlap, which I think works really well. And then the, all this in here we did. This was this was pretty warm, I must say. In the studio. 
terrific camera work here as well, I think, in this whole sequence. Yeah, he used the old crane a lot. To... Now we're into another set, actually. Do you have a name? My name's Bond. And here they go. Listed model. Only one piece of music you can play there. Here they are on the top of the set. This is a great shot of the model coming, of the flames coming up. Mm. And this was modelled after one of the silos of the Russians had. And here we see everything. There's the entrance over there. Mm. Here's the explosion. They look round. And uh, there's the entrance there. Here comes the plane how did you the get bomb. The, how did you get the timing between this explosion and that plane flying through? Because presumably um, that's a one-off. Yeah, it was, it was all, all done. It all was timed from the plane. Mm -hmm. It's pretty critical, isn't it? Yeah. You mean one of these? <sighs> this is our projected floor. Um, in Castle Thane, where um, they know where Bond's uh, plane that uh, he saw has gone. And now we have uh, electric coming on from uh, and asking M to go out to Azerbaijan. These are the plasma screens, are they? Yeah. Mm. Well, those were green screens, weren't they? The, were no, we shot it direct. They actually, they actually were there. Yeah, we shot it direct. Great quality, aren't they? I'll send someone out. Um, could you come? I can't help thinking. I'm next. Get me out there. No, listen. Just get me out there. She's very strong in this duty, isn't she? Yes. Very good indeed. James? Surprised. I love this whole sequence, actually, because, you, you know, you're starting to think maybe she isn't she. We were going to score this originally from start to finish, this whole scene, but I think... One thing that you realise that if the performances are giving you everything, there's really no need to say anything else. Absolutely. And uh, I think so much of this, again, is, is Sophie convincing us of everything that we sort of know isn't true mm. and convincing Bond that everything he thinks he knows isn't true. Mm. And I think she does a great job, and I think Pierce's reaction at the end is crucial as well for us to believe that everything else that happens in this film happens. 100%, yeah. I think she's, she's wonderful. She really carries it through. A powerful kidnapper, skilled in torture, manipulation. Something snaps in the victim's mind. The captive falls in love with her captor. How dare you? How dare you? That animal, that monster? He just can't... You actually believe it, don't you? Mm. <clears throat> It's amazing when you see these words written down on a page and then you see someone perform it. Yeah, I always think that, you know, it's, it's, it's such a hard job is just conveying those emotions and 
inflections and story. I feel it's so much easier with visual things that, uh, mm. that I play with. She's totally convincing. He is now completely doubt-ridden. Mm. And it's not very often you see that happen to Bond. No, it's normally clear-cut. Yeah, you know. and there's something about it which makes us not want it, believe it. He's struck again. Ten men are dead at the pipeline. I'm coming with you. You do what you want to do, but I've called M. She's coming to take you. <laughs> well, Bond thinks he's in trouble now. This is quite an interesting place. <clears throat> uh, I passed this uh, factory one weekend on the way to a uh, bridge weekend, and uh, we sent our location people out there on the Monday, and it happened to be the Motorola building at Swindon. And fortuitously, eventually, we were allowed to use the exterior. And uh, the interior matches kind of the, the uh, type of decor they had there. And um, with all these lit screens, this is the whole clue to the pipeline. And this is all back at Pinewood, isn't it? Yeah. With all due respect, I don't think you should be here. May I remind you that you're the... Look, Kater is a, a nice little touch, the way it gives it to her and she pays off with yeah. it in the end. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a great little idea. <clears throat> I think that's what, what I found most interesting about this film, is that there's there are far more seeds planted throughout the, the, the story as we go through, which kind of come to fruition later. You know, all the relationship things are... I mean, they are quite complicated, and I think... For a bomb movie, it's quite refreshing to have something which is a bit more, uh, a little bit more involving. Yeah. yeah. Where you have to think a little bit more about what's going on. It's not all completely laid out in front of you. Although, you know, you go back and watch it again and you see where these little clues are dropped. It becomes obvious, yeah, but it's so subtly done the first time through. I agree yeah, entirely. She's totally convincing, isn't she? <laughs> it's wonderful. We would do the most damage. Have your men evacuate that terminal. So now, do you believe me? This is an emergency situation, so please, clear the room. Do it. He's going for the oil. Of course. The one pipeline the West is counting on to supply our reserves for the next century. You have an idea? There's a shred of truth there. It's totally believable. He's got an idea, and as soon, I think as soon as Bond gets an idea, we take that opportunity for the music to start the energy of, of his idea and what he needs to do and where it's all going to go. Mm -hmm. This pipeline coming up, Peter, went through yeah. all sorts of turmoil. Oh, yeah, we did. Trying to work out how this was going to be done. Now, this is a part model, and full sizes were shot in Snowdonia. Um, this is part of a hydroelectric scheme. And uh, this is uh, the part we assume where they can get into the pipeline. This we built back in the studio with the pipeline and the, the pig ready for, her, ready for them to uh, get into. How much of this observation rig is fantasy and how much of it is? This is just a little bit of pipeline. Now, the rest of it is mostly green screen. But in reality, you can have one of those things and 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Do they go that fast? No, <laughs> very slow. <laughs> this is all um, blue screen. This is all blue screen. Yeah, the music for this whole thing is all kind of runaway train stuff. Mm -hmm. Great opticals, I must say. If there's even the slightest chance Bond will succeed, he's the best we have. Although I'd never tell him. I hope you're right. <laughs> She's great, Sophie. She's actually wonderful. And with all the the sound that's in there, there's lots of whooshing and swishing. So I figured, like, if we keep the music muscular and rhythmic and mm -hmm. taut and tight. Sit tight. E-ticket ride. No brakes. The controls are jammed. When she starts to disarm the bomb, though, I was always very pleased with the kind of the quality of the uh, the props we had. Mm. And. Uh, but they always are, Peter, aren't they? All the yeah. bombs I've been yeah. associated with, you know, everything has, has the quality that makes you believe. This is all built in metal, and uh, all her equipment, it all works. It's the attention to detail which really amazes me. I mean, just going back to the castle, the MI6 castle, and just down on the set for a couple of days on that, there were CD-ROMs that were made of Robert King's history, you know, Mm. That were on a table somewhere where you'd this never is, ever uh, see them. Real pipeline again, mm. up in Scotland, up in uh, Wales rather. So in reality, you could touch plutonium and everything is up and it's safe. Yeah. yeah. This is an interesting thing for Simon when he did uh, jumping off the back. We had an incline pipe. Um, so we could get them rolling down and uh, shot it with the, uh, the camera uh, dutched. So we got that, uh, that effect that's in effect. Mm. Not so it's, on yeah. level ground, yeah, yeah, speed. This is model in black part. That's strange. It doesn't read like a nuclear explosion. Robinson's reporting. The bomb was a dud, but the triggering charge blew out a 50-yard section of the pipe. And Bond? Nothing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's a great moment. But I have a gift for you. Something that belongs. It's a wonderful villainess. But you're still not really sure. I mean, that's no, what's, absolutely. Good, what's good about it. It's kind of, you know, it's it's Judy's reaction which actually gives it away right there. Mm. That's when you know things have just all gone pear-shaped. It's very valuable, you know. I just couldn't let it explode with the rest of him. It's incredible to see Em in that situation as well. She's well, it's real jeopardy, you know, yeah. because she hasn't got the devices, she hasn't got the techniques, and she hasn't got the, the, the wherewithal. That, I mean, you, you find that when Bond is in that situation, 
you know, because we know him so well, there's, you know, it's more like, how's he going to get out of this? Not mm. will he get out of this, but with, with, with them, of course, you've got no idea. And she looks so vulnerable now because mm. the power of M means nothing yeah. in the situation she's in. It's a big hand. This is part model and full size in Black Park again. Some great dialogue in yeah. here. <laughs> that bomb, you almost killed us. I did kill us. She thinks we're dead and she thinks she got away with it. Do you want to put that in English for those of us who don't speak spy? It's a nice line. And the best one line is coming up now. I think it's great. The explosion covers up the theft of the plutonium. And they make it look like a terrorist attack. But why leave this half? So there's enough to spread around to cover up for the part that they did take. But what are they going to do with the other half? It's not enough to make a nuclear bomb. Well, you're the scientist. You tell me. I don't know. But the world's greatest terrorist running around with six kilos of weapons-grade plutonium can't be good. I have to get it back, or somebody's going to have my ass. First things first. <laughs> Great moment. Not dodgy at all. <laughs> I just want to know, what's the story with you and Electra? We're strictly plutonic. Now, bond to Robinson. Copy. What's your story? What are you doing here in Kazakhstan? Avoiding those kind of questions, just like you. I read you, 007. Red alert. M is missing with Electra. Three men down. Await instructions. Out. Now the lines are drawn and the battle's on, isn't it? <laughs> I used to go to school with Colin Salmon, who plays Robertson. Did you? Yeah, it's very strange. I've got photographs of him watching my school band playing. Good lord. And then the next time I met him was on Tour I Never Dies, which mm. was amazing. Hmm. This was some of the most amazing stuff that I've that I've seen. Blue blue screen when they were shooting this thing. Yeah, this is the this green, green screen, screen yeah. over here. And it was it was very pleasing to see the finished result. Mm. The boat was in a tank at Pinewood with a green screen behind it, and there's. I was amazed on the day when, when, when they were shooting it, you actually, they have a, a, a monitor which gives you the composite shot, so you actually see the layer, mm. the, the, the city in the background while you're shooting against a green screen. Yeah, I shot the stuff where they, they surface at the end and, you know, the same, same with that, mm. it's absolutely amazing when yeah, you see it, it comped together. And this set, Peter, I must say, when uh, later on when they're going up and down, I went on the set in Pinewood, and again, this is another example of incredible sort of workmanship and skills in in the aging down process of you know the peeling. Oh, thank you. Um, but again, Michael shot it beautifully because it did increase the the height by twice the way he shot it. And right. uh, you know, um, but this uh, this whole set of Maiden's uh, Tower was it, it was an enjoyable set to do. The only thing was, we were a little, just a little bit cramped for space. You and my father. Your father. My wasn't... father was nothing. His kingdom he stole from my mother. The kingdom I will rightly take back. It's nice to have a bomb movie where people get to speak to each other. 
Mm. Scenes where people have dialogue and it, well, conversation. And... This whole movie, it's so well balanced. You know, you've got the, the right uh, mixture of everything, and storytelling and action and uh, drama. And you left her at the mercy of a man like me. You ruined her. For what? To get to me. She's worth 50 of me. For once, I agree with you. <laughs> yes. And now we also share a common fate. You will die, along with everyone in the city. And the bright. I think the concept of this submarine pen and everything, Peter, was, was very clever. I know it. Uh, having been to the original Maiden's Tower in, on the Bosphorus there, it was, it was um, quite a job to sort of visualise it oh, yeah. when we discussed it. So you can have this submarine pen underneath the, the tower and everything. But it's, it's again, it's a, a good example of cinematic uh, magic. Magic, I think. As long as you don't dwell on it too much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that's the secret. It's just knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them. But every little moment, he puts the clock there to tick away and see when she's going to die, and it pays off with the location, locator device. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, the texture on this whole building was incredible, I must say. It's very similar to the interior of the real building, we'll say. It was supposed to be renovated to make into a restaurant, but uh, they, they'd stripped it out but hadn't got that far. Hmm. But uh, the upstairs, where this part was right at the very top, um, this was very much of our own um, thinking. Yeah. of how it was. We made it a little bit more romantic uh, than probably the real place. This is another one of the sequences dear Michael was shooting while I was reading my <laughs> butt off in Germany. We had a lot of discussion about this sequence because it was one of those ones that I, th I thought at some stage we, we didn't need because I was a bit dubious about feeling sorry for Renard. Um, you know, having sympathy for the character who's planning to blow up eight million people and who you know you need to root for bond mm. with at the end i just you know i was i was i was always like a bit unsure about where this was taking us you know the the whole the whole feeling of we feel sorry for him but having spoken to you know barbara and michael and michael acted about it there's there's an undeniable kind of strength in the fact that there is this peculiar menage a trois between, you know, Bond and Electra and Renard. Mm. Um, and that I think in order for us to believe that Renard will do this stuff for her, we need to know that she's done things for him, I suppose. You know mm. what I mean? He it's is quite about... erotic, isn't it? It's yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, way. but it's also, it's, there's something quite perverse about it. You know, it's, it's very sensual, but at the same time, it's, it's incredibly perverse. Mm. I think it goes a long way to establishing her strength as well. Mm. And her, un, you know, she is unhinged as well, really. Mm. She's uh, on the edge of flipping up. And uh, I love this stuff. This is the walkways out in the Caspian, and uh, this is out there, we took the Rolls-Royce out there, and then we dissolve into our paddock tank set. This was an incredible set, Peter, I must say. 
the foresight on this and opening up the the tank as big as you did and putting those huge high 80 foot high walls around it was just like an open air set for me it was just wonderful the stage with the roof off it was fantastic it was pleasure to do you know um Got it it all worked out all. well, and uh, you know we had that great model. And if you remember, we had the our uh, roundtable meetings, oh. and uh, it just got right, better and better. You know, and all these little lights just in the background are all fibre optics let into the backing, just to give a little depth there. But also, we shot on as you, as we all know, we shot on that set in Pinewood. And we also shot down in uh, in Aldershot with with real helicopters because at Pinewood we couldn't actually use real helicopters because of the controls flying at night in houses around us, etc., etc. We'd had to do most of our big explosions before 12 at night. But we, Peter, actually remember he took dismantled the set once we'd finished it and took the roofs and the buildings all the way down to Aldershot so we could actually fly real helicopters for all the up angles. So there's a whole mixture of, of different angles, but I think the set itself works so well. Scheduling-wise, it was a nightmare for Chris Corbold and Terry Madden, my AD, because each direction had to be worked out for the for the movement of the crane, which in fact had the model, not a model, but a mock-up helicopter hanging on it. And, uh, you know, it's a sort of two or three day turnaround to move the crane around to fly the helicopter in a different direction. And as you said, at our roundtable meetings of the route that Bond would take, each cut had to be done in continuity so that um, we could, you know, actually progress with the story and have all the actual proper cut bits in the background. These saw blades, actually, we've been trying to get in, I think, for the last three Bonds, haven't we? <laughs> this is a one time. This is a great shot, but I don't think anybody ever thought that that uh, filing cabinet would remain just <laughs> no, standing there. It was wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah. Standing out there yeah. on its own. This is a, these are models yeah. put in by Mar actually. Yeah. Absolutely excellent. Superb Absolutely job. Excellent. We put the torch lights in. And Jonathan Taylor, my director of photography, I think did an outstanding job on this set. It really is a, a masterpiece. And it's like we're bringing in the, the anonymous assassin music, which kind of links to Renard yeah, at the end of the movie. Because they are, they're sort of faceless killers, aren't yeah. they, chasing Bond? But then as soon as, <coughs> as, soon as we get to the, uh, to the car being operated, we're in... Uh, it's kind of like this is Bond's last gung-ho sequence before it actually starts getting quite serious, this film, so... Sort of took the advantage and mm. took the opportunity to have a little bit of fun with the music, and it's, you know, we, we have the Bond theme again. Even with the car sequence, you know, we did. We had such a success, I must say, with the remote control BMW on Tomorrow Never Dies. We thought it'd be quite fun just to set the audience up to think they're going to get another mm. remote sequence, and then uh, and then uh, deliver the coup de gras with the <laughs> with the helicopter and the saw blades on it. 150 grand's worth uh, caput. This one is. That's it all. The shot. That shot. Um, this is obviously back on the set, and uh, there's a nice down shot. That's all the shot with a real helicopter. This That's is the model helicopter and optical blades put in. So it's it's uh, again a good example of um, the artistry of all the different departments in the creation of a of a of sequence. Great effects. I love this. <laughs> I love the gizmos. Again, it's a little 
Can we come into model? Model shot, exactly. But they're big, aren't they, Pete? Yeah. They're huge model shots, which is what gives them the quality. This is a great yeah. one. <laughs> I thought it, uh, and it took something like seven or eight hours to build that car on the set in the piece, in the stage it was supposed to be. It was an amazing work of art, I must say. All the effects boys did such a good job. That's a, a real helicopter, obviously, turning down at all the shot, flying back in. This sequence we came up with pretty close to, to uh, the shooting time. And I'll never forget, it's, it's obviously a, a, a succession of elements put in. And uh, when we were doing Pierce's element running, it, it was frosty and slippery, and the sun was actually coming up over the backing. Uh, Jonathan was starting to tear his hair out as much as he ever does. But, um, it's a fun sequence, I think. It's, uh, it's so surreal and Bond, I think it's... You don't get a chance to do these nowadays on movies. It was a good four or five weeks of shooting. But the depth of that set piece is absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Yes, it was. Our biggest problem on the on the uh, the movie was that uh, we were building 007 and this set and the interior sets all simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And normally you you get to the big set at the end, but uh, of course we couldn't do that. But uh, it was a very kind of. Uh, this is a big bang. This yeah. one. This set every car alarm off in the studios and rattled every window in the studios. It's huge. But I think, as with all the action sequences, you certainly believe Bond is in there. Pierce, at I yeah, this is a lovely think. bit of action. Yeah, this is the guy going over the chat. That's great. But yeah, you certainly believe Pierce is in there doing it all. It's, yeah. uh, it's very. It's one of the things we all set out to achieve. Mark Wolfloor helicopters, and I must say, he did such an incredible job. The guy is just superb because that is a real sort of twenty odd feet of steel hanging underneath a helicopter, a special platform to land on with a slot cut in the middle that he could settle the saw into. This nice crash here. This is Franklin Henson drove drove this in there, and no matter how much you prepare things, we still he was under the water three or four minutes, obviously with the full aqua lungs and the divers down there, but. It's not until you see his little head pop up above the water that you can sort of breathe a sigh of relief. This is in the stage interior, Robbie and Denise. Rockets I love, this is a visual thing. I like them better than bullets, another model. This is computer graphics, computer generated wheels spinning. That's a sequence. I'm uh, quite proud of that one. Actually, it's uh, four or five night, month, uh, weeks of night work is really, really tough, especially in the English winter. Ah, yeah. you my Rolls Royce, and now you're to drown me. I remember when we were doing the the first set, we were going to. If you remember, we had the model of the collapsing uh, caviar house. And we decided not to do it, but uh, we'd already started building, and uh, we had incorporated all the hinge work with Chris right. in it. And Michael came to me one day and said, "Do you think it would still collapse?" And I said to Chris, "What do you think?" He said, "Yeah, sure." And it was a great payoff to the set, you know. It was. It's a nice punchline. Where? Where? Istanbul. 
Sorry, boss. I, I must have bumped my head. Oh, really? Cut me out of here. I'll show you what that bumped head feels like. Uh, look. We have no roof, but at least we have four good walls. Great set. Just like the House of Blues in L.A., isn't it? Yeah. insurance <laughs> company is never going to believe this. Our last moment of levity. Mm. Yes, before we get down to that. Very dark. Remember the discussions how we'd get the submarine into the oh, phosphorus and <laughs> go down, and whether we'd shoot a plate underwater or just dissolve. It's funny, I always think of those things, you know, the before and after, which only we know about when we're sitting there. It's always that background, the, the, the movie that people don't see, mm. the, sometimes the interesting bit. You know, this is mm. JR out in the Bahamas with the model submarine. This is in the studio, because we didn't take any artist out to uh, Istanbul. It's one of the establishing shops. Now here we are in the um, model shot of the submarine mm. surfacing in the secret key. How big was that model? Uh, it was about 70-odd feet long. Mm. Yeah, that's what makes them so good. Yeah. The old generating station at Pinewood. <laughs> if you remember, we were going to have a big chase sequence through Istanbul oh, as yeah. well, weren't we? Oh, do you remember the big duty-free? Yeah, oh, the duty-free, that's right. We yeah. were fight right the way yeah. through duty-free, smashing everything. But we had a huge car chase right the way through the old town of Istanbul. It was going to be great, but... And the crane, if you remember. That's right, the crane. God, in the square, that was a sort of yeah. pivotal part of the movie at yeah. one time, wasn't it? That's it. <laughs> it's funny how they stretch and change and uh, eventually mould into the finished product. But why? Because the existing pipelines from the Caspian Sea go to the north. Here. The oil is put on board the tankers, shipped across the Black Sea down to Istanbul. When you're doing it, David, I guess you, you're always thinking of the end, how are you going to, like we do, you know, we stunt-wise, you're thinking, how can we finish on a mighty climax? And do you Yeah, sort of... I mean, part of the problem is that there are so many mighty climaxes, you know, mm. and, and, and... The same with our just action, avoiding, you, know, just... you know, is he going to avoid the big explosion? Well, this is our full-size key side, built on a stage. Now, the, the opposite side of it was all green screen, so we only built this side... And um, the submarine, which is uh, just the, the piece we see. But you do get to this point in the movie when, again, you know, dramatically we see what's been kind of planted and suggested early in the film coming to fruition. It's musically you have to try and pull the whole thing together as well. Mm. And uh, in a way, having so many different characters in it that are important to the to the propulsion of the drama kind of helps you because it feels like for, for me it was like the whole design of the music was to, it, it should feel like it all came from the same space from the same place um, and everything was kind of perversely related to everything else that was going on 
So there was always a sort of sense of familiarity with with music. Whenever you know, even when you heard new music, it felt like it came from the same space, which was probably you know the world is not enough music. And uh, you know everything that happens in the end now harks back to things that have already happened musically somewhere in the movie. Mm. And also, you still have to project to what's going on. You know, I mean, you're looking at this point. You're 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 looking at another two major climaxes before the movie ends. You know, with with the Electra's demise and also Renard. Mm. And you have to make sure that you don't make it impossible to get beyond those climaxes. Otherwise, you know, you always feel like the film's ending. This that is a nice terrific. explosion, actually. Simon yeah. did this with the actors and everything else. I think I seem to remember. I even got. Pierce's foot caught fire a little bit yeah. in this one, didn't it? But it's um, it's a great moment when you can tie the artist in with the action. It's, this is again uh, our famous green screen again on the back paddock tank yeah. where we're just taking down um, the walkway set. <laughs> I insist. Back to Istanbul. They did a great job with the submarine, didn't they? Because the oh, whole yeah. thing was... Yeah, yeah was Fred and uh, the props and uh, um, Chris and his his crowd doing this. It was a... I was pleased because it did, it did look like a submarine, I thought, too. Oh, yeah. It had, a, it had the right feel about it. Mm. Did a little bit of Titanic come into the design of this with the tilting and the lowering? <laughs> I must say it worked so well. Yeah. You know, you could plan all your shots on the level and then put your cameras in there. Yeah. Here we are, green screen again. It certainly works well. Seamless. Yeah, it's great. In quite a difficult scene dramatically, I think. You know, in order to in order to feel that they have something together which is enough for them to be doing the things that they're doing but mm -hmm. also without it getting you know it's not this isn't like a romantic moment no you could easily make it romantic again it's the perversely erotic side of it isn't it it's, uh, the sadism and everything coming into it it's uh, quite interesting yeah i mean kind of like that look that he just gave you it's it's, it's tricky getting around it because you do feel quite sorry for him mm. and it's like I don't want to it's like all the time it's like you know the whole thing with his music was that you know I'm not gonna feel sorry for him musically because, I mean mm. there's enough of it in his face but I always I always think that if he gets away with it eight million people are gonna die mm -hmm. if only you'd kept away we might have met again in a few years and become lovers once more <laughs> so feeling <laughs> I love the outfit too. She, mm. she looked absolutely great. Pretty thing. You had her too? She's certainly her own woman. I could have given you the world. Oh. The world is not enough. Foolish sentiment. But the little forethought things like the hat that she's brought in that she hides and yeah. you know, hides a gun at the end. I love those little payoffs. It's very, very. Clever. 
simple yet uh, so essential. Quite a bond moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's the laser between the legs. I just sort figured of the same thing. That's that's the classic, a similar it? kind of. And that's what we, we sit there thinking, and you know, we sort of always relate to those type of things. Well, how can we modernise it and bring it up mm. to date with what is around? But you do get the. F I mean, what I like about this is that it's not just you know the the dialogue and exposition about what I'm going to do and why I'm going to do it. But you really get a feeling that she's genuinely enjoying mm. the process. You know, she's getting a, a genuine thrill mm -hmm. out of what she's doing. Yeah, when what she she's about, what lap, she's she about, just... what she's about to do to the world, and what she's doing to him, and you know, the whole kind of transference of power. And... Mm. Yeah, it's she's obviously twisted and perverted. Terribly and just... filthy sequence. <laughs> When he refused, I told him I would do it myself. It's a marvel, marvelous uh, example of optical work that was um, all done digitally. She didn't actually do it. Method, <laughs> but it is amazing with the with the hair behind it. You know, when you know the technicalities of it, with the hair and oh. trying to take a mat and uh, it's very clever. The sequences between Bond and Electra are all musically kind of built on sensuality. Earlier, when they're getting together, uh, then there's a sort of a gentle, stroking, sensual feel to it. Uh, but once she reveals herself, and we get to these sequences, and again, at the end, when he's got a gun to her head, it's kind of all about you know the sounds are of bodily functions for a bit, want of a better word you know <laughs> blood rushing and and throbbing and pumping and things like that you know there's a definite physical sen sensuality to the music as well it's just the way she you know the way she moves on this chair mm, she's really enjoying it isn't she An aspect of that reminded me a bit of Zenyana Top from Goldeneye, you know. Mm -hmm. She crushed him with the legs. Mm. Yeah. She really looks as though she's having fun with it, and as you say, just about to go out and blow up the. Something you can never people. forget, you know, is that the plan is quite devastating and quite horrific. Yeah. And no matter what's going on, I think, you know, I mean, you can see what's going on easily enough, but I don't think you should ever really forget what the aim is. Boss, you're alive. So glad to see you. Me too. This is nice line coming up. Mm -hmm. This is terrific. I'm looking for a submarine. It's big and black and the driver is a very good friend of mine. Bring it to me. What a shame. Great setup. Just gone. But does Robbie die in this one? Or will he come back in the next?
again, you know, the music for this is like, I don't think you ever really want to indicate what's going to happen. You don't know whether he's going to shoot him. You don't know whether she's going to shoot her. You don't know whether he still actually does really hate James Bond from having shot him in the knee some years earlier. Or, mm. You don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen. And then we just give him a moment. Sukowski really hated you. <laughs> Everything's under control up here. Are you ready? How quick the tables turn, mm. it's great. This is a nice sequence. Mm. Everything becomes apparent and solved so quickly, it's great. This is the impressive part of the set, I thought. You can't kill me, not in cold blood. Oh! <laughs> Again, we're in chase, 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 right the way up to this point, and then we get. Mm. Tiny breather. To high tension. Call him off. I won't ask again. Excellent tension. Musically, I'm just, I'm just the pulse. I'm the, you know, the, the blood pumping through his brain at this point, deciding what he's going to do. Yes. Die, Bond. It's quite a shock when he shot her, wasn't it? Yeah. It's a shock, but also it's, you know, it's. I think it's a kind of relief that he's. He's doing his job. Mm. You know? I don't think he would have any, yeah. any compunction about it. And there's there's a moment of regret because again, that might have been the woman who you know was his equal in many ways. Mm -hmm. Bob comes out on our studio set, Pinewood. This is the model. This is out on location. This is back in the studio model. It's a rather nice swallow dive here, actually, yeah. against green screen, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, there. beautiful. That's yeah. Mark Martyrum. It's falling into an airbag, but green screen one. So it's a um, classy dive. Back in the stage, submarine diving, of, courtesy of Chris. Yeah, Plenty wanted, of water pumps. I wanted the music to be a bit more old-fashioned in this, you know, kind of bond back on the, back on the case. Right. Sort of heroic, slightly militaristic. And again, knowing that you're going to tie all these elements together now, and this sequence is like a 12-minute sequence. It's a lot of music to get through. It's a repeat of the same music we heard when uh, we were at the nuclear facility. Slightly changed. Sickest gag in the film. <laughs> 
bang, and then we're off into. It's all going to go off now. The ride's about to start. Yeah. yeah. How much technical sort of research did you go did go into this, Peter? Oh, quite a bit. We did have a professor down from mm -hmm. um, uh, University of London, and uh, he gave us a quick lecture about uh, fusion and fission bombs and uh, how all this stuff was made. And it was quite interesting. So this is the set we were saying earlier that was all on hydraulics. It's obviously horizontal now, yeah. but eventually it goes vertical. And um, as with everything, it's very difficult to, when you're in the same room, to see that it is actually vertical. So we had all sorts of hanging objects and dropped things through frames, so you can actually see the change in uh, in its uh, position. And the water was quite a huge thing to contend oh, with. I know yeah, we had a problem with the lights, didn't we? They kept um, some earthing problem with them and then uh, old Andy Williams is doing my effects on on the second unit was uh, they did some great job with these pumps and adding aerating with the water sort of double the volume of it it starts to tilt I love it when you get shots like that because it just gives you the chance to kind of up the ante with the music as well, you know, it mm -hmm. just gives you a broader thing. Because the biggest problem I have with this whole end sequence is that it's all in such a small space, you know, and, and traditionally we have the, you know, Bond finales can be quite grand things, but it's, yeah. it's interesting how that all of Pierce's finales have all been one-to-one -one fights in small spaces. On Gold Knight, it was on the radar, you know, the bottom of the radar dish, and then Tomorrow Never Dies, it was on the, in the confines of the stealth boat, and this one, right, he has a one-to-one -one with. This is quite fun. We see them yeah. walking against gravity. It's, uh, it is tough though. Getting all your cameras bolted down and your operators, and we we operate a lot of them re remotely, and then you have to waterproof everything, and mm. uh, it's it's really really time-consuming getting the shot in here. Just kind of added jeopardy. Yeah. With all these sequences, it's getting the Getting the geography and the yeah. you have to have the elements of, of real time and real position and at the same time making it photogenic and uh, mm. interesting to the audience. Yeah, just back there there was the torpedo room, which again was one of uh, John's models. Uh, we were going to build it at one time, but uh, it seemed better to, to do it like this, like the way it's been done. But mm. all this water work now is absolutely great, you know. Uh, Thousands of gallons had pumping through there, and I must say that. They were great in it. It's it's very very tiring to work in water because although it's 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 heated to a certain degree, it's still it, it, it's exhausting. This is where we get Renard's dark, darker theme from all the the anonymous assassins. Now becomes his he aims to become the ultimate assassin, I suppose. Model on location. Rest 
this button so I can get back in. James, it's too risky. If I don't make it, use this chamber to get out. Close the hatch. Be sure to exhale all the way up. Close it. This is quite fun to shoot because we tried to capture the claustrophobic and the being in this tank and filling up with water and just having to hold your breath and uh, it's I think it sells it quite well. Yeah, it does. It's a mixture of Mark and then Pierce did a lot under here as well, which uh, just adds to it so much. And this poor girl, we really dumped on her with this when this thing broke, the uh, door burst open. <laughs> she knew what was coming because thousands of gallons come in there. It's on the tank at Pinewood. And this we shot with Denise, and I must say, she's an absolute trooper because you know yourself when you go underwater and open your eyes, you're absolutely blind. Yeah. So she's just <clears> going <throat> by instinct underneath there. And you can only rehearse it so much dry, and then you've got to get in there. And once the water's flowing and the noise is on, and she's freezing, and uh, it really is tough. We had Mike Valentine stuffed in the corner, and, but it has a very good, real, raw feel of handheld and realism and chaos. And then we wanted to come up with this idea of a burst of water coming in there and blowing her off her feet. And she's here, she's almost fighting for her life there. You can see she's just, the water is so turbulent, she can hardly get ahead above it to get any breath. She's absolutely true for little Denise was, she's wonderful. This is a, a nice claustrophobic moment for Pierce. So we've been in sort of complete sort of musical chaos up until this moment and then we have to really come down so as to for this to happen and for Renard not to notice him. Right. Again, I know for, for Michael this was a very tricky set to shoot because it was, you know, normally it'd be fine because it, it's on terra firma but all they can stand on are these bars and you have to yeah, tell the... There's very there's really nowhere for anyone to go which is the, you know, the think the, the problem physically and dramatically. Mm -hmm. And all these hard surfaces as well. I mean it's you know Exactly, there's no way you can put pads in or anything. Yeah. When you hit something it hurts and you're soaking wet and it it does become wearisome and problematical. As I say with the camera, every camera has to be wrapped and cleaned and the lens polished and you can get a wonderful shot and have a nice big old drip on the lens. You have to do it again. But poor Denise, she was a trooper. She's soaked all the time. Safe from the radiation, as long as the reactor coolant doesn't burst. If he had gotten the plutonium rod in the reactor, we could have written off the whole city. James! Welcome to my nuclear family. Again, yeah, no, this is a tricky fight for Simon to coordinate because, again, the... It's basically a trapeze fight, you're standing mm. on. And I suppose your set, Peter, it was pretty tricky having the water in all the time and, you know. Yes, you know. Um, not having it destroyed. Well, everything had to be uh, painted so nothing would come off. And uh, some of the rails we did help sign when we put anti slip material on because, you know, if you slip on one of those uh, mm. uh, rods, it could be disastrous. And I know from Michael's point of view, shooting it, you know, everything's got to go in on a crane. You can't yeah. just sort of 
plonk your camera on, no. on legs and, and do it. It's all, and you had floating sides on the set, didn't you? It couldn't yeah. come apart. But again, when you want to do reverses, one side has to go on and the other has to come off, and it's it's a huge engineering feat, I think. So here, emotionally, we have to feel that Bond's lost the day. We've got no idea how he's going to get out of it. Until he sees. The escaping gas pipe and compressed air pipe. I quite like the ending as well. It's mano a mano with uh, him and yeah. Renard. I know we, I was in the cutting rooms with them while we were putting all this together, and I, I think the way it came out was quite good. It's eyeball to eyeball, and when he skewers him, his mm. look of disbelief on his face. There's this definite feel of like race, you know, the kind of corny old good against They're evil sort of stuff. But yeah, room, yeah. yeah, it's like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? This is the wonderful things about Bond, you know, you just stretch it to the limit. It's gone past mm -hmm. the limit, has it? No, <laughs> it's great. And you still have another beat or two left. It's great. It's funny how once Renard dies, Pierce's reaction with his head, he does this kind of shaking thing there with his head that mm. you see Renard do earlier when he's killing the guy with the, with the rock, you know, mm -hmm. with the scalding mm -hmm. rock. And whenever he's doing something diabolical, he does this weird head shaking thing. It's funny how, I don't know if that was something consciously that they picked up yeah, on. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd never picked up on it before. There was an element of that in his, in, in his ruthlessness, which was kind of echoed in Bond's response to his killing of him, which I quite liked. And from this point on, we always know they're going to get out. Mm. Even if this place blows. Using a little element of the uh, sort of the more successful element of the skiing music earlier. Right. Getting them out. <laughs> That's a terrific shot. Never seen it before. <laughs> this was shot in the tank at Pinewood. It's, uh, Great green screen again. Yeah. Works so well. <laughs> the way they wave back. <laughs> It's simply not the case. No, before that. Right, for the last little bit. For the, for the bonding in innuendos. Chris, yeah, for, <laughs> for Christmas and Bond, we just play like a little piano romantic version of the uh, of the skiing down the mountain sort of love. Remember, we're going to shoot feel. this out there. Yeah, I remember shooting the fireworks actually while we we're doing the helicopters. <laughs> in between takes, we'd, we'd fire up some fireworks. People down in Hinkby Common in the order shot wonder what the heck was going on. Because we're shooting the fireworks with this blue screen behind them. Look, what's that? The car. So he must be nearby. Where? <laughs> Judy's wonderful. <laughs> she plays it so seriously. It's like how many times does she see this happen anyway? Exactly. Like, Why on earth would she be surprised? <laughs> The, 
don't know how she says the lines without laughing. Let's see. She doubled her husband on dead cert many years ago. Horse racing picture we did, yeah. I worked with her on Henry V as well. How so? I thought Christmas only comes once a year. The oldest gag in the book. <laughs> it actually got a great laugh. <laughs> it, so. And the first time we have James Bond will return mm. at that point in the film, I think. I think all the others are right at the end. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're right. Well spotted. And then we get into sending everyone off with a little bit of a bang, same way that he did. <laughs> There's always that thing with the end titles. It's like you know we've we've just had this exciting movie. You just want to send people out with the with the music in their heads and the theme going round them. Um, just like to say, uh, I hope everybody who's been watching this has thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm just figurehead of a big uh, crew behind me. All great people, and it's been enjoyable to do and to speak to you today. And we'll see you in a couple of years' time with Bond 20, I hope. Yes, if we all get to return. <laughs>